Don't chase the snake. Hey, if you feel like somebody has done you wrong, somebody took advantage of you, stay tuned. I'm going to tell you why it doesn't make sense to chase that snake. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, we got some great stories today. Just to interject as examples for some of the questions that came in, we're going to deal with the main topic, don't chase the snake. Here's some of the other questions we're going to be looking at. What does one do when they finally retire, realize after 33 years in the wrong profession and now 55 years old that they should have chosen a totally different profession? All right. How about this? My son is 16 and will be going off to a college in a couple of years. His career aspiration is to own businesses. Do you think it's too early to get him some coaching or mentoring in this arena? Here's another one. Hey there, Dan, my friend and I are working through the 48 days book and we both are suffering from somewhat profound depression issues. We're currently working on those issues and wonder what the next step would be and how we can best utilize the material in the book. Well, we're going to jump right into those and more. Here's our quotation for today. It comes from Stephen Covey, who said, live out of your imagination, not your history. I want you to really let that sink in. Live out of your imagination, not your history. I mean, a lot of people are living their life looking in the rearview mirror. And what's already happened, we're going to talk about why that is a dangerous plan to have. Here's your resource for today. These are eight questions to ask yourself to mine your own acres of diamonds and unearth the opportunities that exist in your life. So just eight questions. If you go to 48days.com slash questions, it'll take you right to that. There's no sign in or anything and just see the questions that I propose to unlock the best opportunities in your own life. Now, this comes from Daryl. This is lengthy. I'll give you the high points. Dear Dan, since 2007, post my firing from the J-O-B, I have been in a terrible state of mind, financial and family disasters. Major points are job loss in April 2007. I was fired, filed a wrongful termination lawsuit the summer of 2007, I was seeing two MDs. I was misdiagnosed with COPD, diagnosed with allergies, 2007, uh, then diagnosed with asthma, bronchitis. Anyway, well, congestive heart failure in November of 2007. Now get the sequence here. Fired in April, filed a wrongful termination lawsuit, diagnosed with multiple physical ailments, congestive heart failure, 2007, heart pacemaker defibrillator installed August 2008, then got a job with a census, trickled along for a few months in that, um, 2014, got a 12-hour night shift job, um, Was health was deteriorating, and uh, MD suggested quitting because he was going into depression. It says, you and I made contact. Along the way, you addressed my issues, but I failed again to get a job. 
Well, today, September 17, 2019, I'm 67 and in pretty good health, but totally not being productive in and with life. Yes, my wife is still by my side, only thanks to God and her endless love or something. My only presumption is that someone or something is blacklisting me. There must be a work-at-home job that I could excel on. I've discovered several TV shows like Hotel Impossible, Bar Rescue, Restaurant Impossible, etc. So I come to my question. The above shows are outstanding, life-changing events for the businesses and personal lives. Thus, rather than people like me being or becoming homeless, how can we create a similar event like the above shows to help blacklisted people like me or provide a safe list of work-at-home jobs we can perform? You can find my job profile on LinkedIn. All right, that's it. So that those are there's more details, but that's that's it. All right, here's what I want to counsel you with, coach you with, Daryl. No one's blacklisting you. You're imagining that. I mean, you're creating a reality that doesn't exist except between your own two ears. Now, I did try to look you up on LinkedIn. There are 62 people with your name that came up. Nothing that made you stand out. If you want to get noticed, I suggest that you do something to beef up how you're presenting yourself. Another thing, get rid of your Hotmail email address. That reeks of old school and not keeping up with the times. I mean, get a Gmail address or better yet, one with your own name as a domain. But wow, you got to be a player if people are going to take you seriously. Being 67 is fine, but you got to be clear about what it is that you do, what value you have, hold your head high and don't think people are out to get you. Thus, don't chase the snake. So here's one of my stories. When I was about 10 years old, one of my best friends, name was Bob Queen. One afternoon, we were exploring the back acreage of my, our farm that we lived on, and a snake bit Bob. Now, seeing that snake slither off, my immediate response was to run after the snake, track him down, repay the scoundrel for what he had done to my friend. Bob, however, being a much wiser hunter and outdoorsman, quickly pulled out his knife, lanced the bite, sucked the blood out, spit out the poison. The focus for him was on his own well-being, not on repaying the snake. Now, I often see people chasing the snake in their own lives. The company folds or you just simply get laid off. Immediate reaction may include anger, resentment, bitterness, backstabbing. These lead to discouragement, frustration, guilt, depression, illness, I mean, be aware, all these reactions and feelings focus on the past. Turning around and looking to the future opens up confidence, boldness, excitement, passion, enthusiasm. These often lead to an increased sense of accomplishment, personal control, fulfillment, and of course, money. I had somebody that called me just this week, a friend of mine, a very successful businessman, but he purchased a house and it turns out there were a lot of repairs done to the house prior to his buying it that were not done correctly. They didn't pull permits. Repairs were done in a shoddy fashion and he's having to clean up a mess and has now spent about $20,000. Well, his question was, you know, I can sue the guy who did this. We know who it was. We can go after him. I asked him a couple of questions. Well, the guy has since filed bankruptcy. He's gone into other kinds of businesses. He has absolutely no assets. And I said, why would you waste your time going after this guy? 
Yeah, you've spent the money. You know you're not going to get it. You're not going to get any money from him. He doesn't have any. And you're going to expend a whole lot of emotional energy, negative emotional energy, spending your time going after. I said, don't do it. Just go forward. You can make the money a whole lot easier than you're going to try to extract it from somebody who doesn't have any. Just don't do that. See, if, if Bob and I had chased that snake, the poison would have been given opportunity to plunge through his veins, draining his energy, perhaps leading to his death. So my question is, you know, what are you doing in your life? Are you chasing a snake that bit you in the past? Or are you pursuing a dream in the future? Now, choose carefully. Your life may be at stake. Now, here's another note that I got. This comes from Terry. And this is, this is really cool. Just a great example of what I'm describing here. He says, this is his 48 Days, days Eagles testimonial. And it, it certainly is that. I've been a pro hockey player in my younger years, very successful award-winning salesman with a Fortune 100 pharmaceutical company. And I'm about to give up a very healthy six-figure sales job in the oil field that I've had for almost 10 years to pursue my God-given dreams and passions of being an entrepreneur. Um, okay, well, he says once he did it to pursue plain air painting, but uh, didn't really turn that into a lot of income. So he's rethought and I went back. Oh, he says, he want, I went back to the soul crushing, life sucking sales job. It's provided well and blessed others. And I feel like I needed to learn a few spiritual lessons before my time was finished there. Here's the deal. He says, Terry says, I work for a verbally abusive, severe alcoholic who hates himself and everybody he comes in contact with. He's the spawn of Satan that you talk about in 48 days. However, if this is a Christian organization, that's where it gets tricky. At this point, my fears of leaving the money are outweighed by my hopes for the future. And I don't want to look back and regret that I chickened out because I was clinging to the false sense of security in my bank account. My goal is to crush those fears completely, kick them in the teeth by building a successful business of my own that generates more income than my boss and that the whole company makes. Well, Dan, he says, your podcast have helped me keep my entrepreneurial dreams alive and overcome the fear with proven, well-thought-out tactics. And then he goes on with what he's doing, and I'll share more about the business that he and his wife are moving into, what they're going to do. It's really cool. I'll give you updates as that actually develops. But now, just think about this. I mean, I, I love this line. My fears of leaving the money are outweighed by my hopes for the future. Golly. I mean, by being pulled by his hopes for the future, he also immediately says he wants to generate more income than the whole company is leaving. Now, is that cool or what? Now, here's, here's my question, though. Is that seeking revenge or is it something else? I mean, is that a legitimate motivator? I'm, by golly, I'm going to make more money than my boss makes. Go out here and prove it to myself. Well, we can be prompted to wholeness by someone who has treated us poorly. So we have that choice. We can either seek revenge or we can be prompted toward wholeness. Wholeness being the state of being perfectly well in body, soul, and mind, and spirit. I told Terry, his, his note reminded me of one of my favorite old Zig Ziglar stories, where Zig says this, 
When I was a youngster in Yazoo City, Mississippi, I was invited one day by a buddy of mine to go swimming at the country club. It was a hot day that summer. I rode my bicycle out to the club. I had on my bathing suit. Man, I was ready to hop in, but my buddy never showed. There wasn't another person around. That water looked so cool and inviting. I couldn't resist it, and into that pool I went. I mean, no more than two minutes passed when this guy who was a member there at the club came by Um, saw me in there. He knew I had no business in that club. He told me to come see him the next day. To this day, I vividly remember that visit in his office. It was one of the toughest things I've ever done. I was literally afraid I was going to be put in jail. Afterward, with tears in my eyes, in my own childish anger and frustration, I promised one of these days, I'm going to build me a swimming pool bigger than that one at the country club in Yazoo City, Mississippi. And Zig says, I'm here to tell you that in the summer of 1969, we built a swimming pool at his house with the redhead that was one foot longer than that original pool at that old country club. Now, here's the thing. You know, revenge is predominantly emotional and can provide pleasure in seeing someone else suffer. Wholeness isn't about getting even. It's about righting a wrong and moving toward what we may see as moral justice, but it may not even involve the person, the situation, the company that caused us to be motivated in that direction. Revenge is personal. Wholeness is impersonal. It involves correction in situations where, you know, maybe ethical and moral principles have been violated. Revenge is an act of vindictiveness. If someone steps on your toe and you put on boots to stomp back harder, that's vindictiveness. Degrading another person is never honorable. Wholeness moves toward honor, fairness, and virtue. So yeah, breaking through fear and mistreatment can transform you into a whole new person. Well, James Mace says this, only remember this, to seek justice is a good, noble thing. To seek revenge out of hatred is something that will devour your very soul. Now, I wanted to jump right into those because it addresses that don't don't chase the snake. And it's such an important concept. I want to just unpack that really quickly here. It's a recurring kind of theme that we hear from people who have been treated poorly. Sure, it can happen. But what we want to do is move you into a positive application in moving forward, not just chasing the snake. So let me go into some positive stories here. Got a couple great stories I want to share with you. Hundreds of strangers rally one morning to grant a four-year-old cancer survivor's birthday wish for a hundred bumblebees. This is a story about a four-year-old little boy, Whitaker Weinberg. He's been fighting stage four neuroblastoma since he was just 13 months old. He's never really had a chance to celebrate his birthday with other people. So now he's been stable for about a year, and his parents wanted to make sure that this year's birthday was really special. So when they asked him what he wanted for his birthday, he said he wanted a hundred bumblebees. Now, He's not talking about career aspirations for being a beekeeper. Uh, He's talking about the Transformers character, Bumblebee. So whenever he sees a yellow car in the street, he assumes it's the heroic robot in disguise. Now, 
it might seem kind of difficult to amass a hundred bumblebees like that. But his parents had another idea. So they put out a note on social media asking neighbors and friends to bring their yellow cars to this neighborhood in Alexandria, Virginia on the morning of his birthday. Well, Whitaker's mom, Erin, made a Facebook post saying, does anyone have a yellow car or connections with yellow cab companies or is in the media so we can share a story and see if it's possible to make this happen? I know this is a crazy idea, but we want to see Whitaker experience a miracle as big as he is. Well, she put that out. And the morning of the big day, motorists traveled from places as far away as West Virginia, New York, D.C., Southern Virginia, to line up in the road where the family would walk to preschool that morning. So it's all a big surprise for this little four-year-old who's fighting cancer. When the door opened, the boy emerged into the front yard. There were yellow cars of all shapes and sizes, taxis, even a dump truck. The rainbow, his bumblebees, stretched for over a mile. And there were a lot of neighbors who didn't have a yellow car, but they simply put on their brightest yellow clothing, took to the streets to cheer for Whitaker and join the parade. Well, the story is and passed along just a great story about people rallying. You know, I mean, these are simple stories where it's just an opportunity to create a unique experience for somebody to show love and concern. Here's another one. After 12 years of waving to students from a window, here's a gal who had 400 kids show up to say goodbye. Tinny Davidson is this gal's name. She's been waving to the children in her town for over 10 years. And now she's finally moving out of her home and the local youngsters wanted to make sure to give her a proper send off. She's 88 years old. She lives in British Columbia, Canada. She and her husband moved into their house back in 2007. So since they were living right near the local high school, they just delighted and standing on their porch and waving to the teens as they walked back and forth to school. Even after her husband died, this lady continued the tradition of sitting in her front window, waving to the kids. Uh, a couple of years ago, the, the kids did give her a lot of um, roses and cards for Valentine's Day. But when they heard that she was going to be moving into an assisted living home, more than 400 kids showed up in her front yard to say goodbye. She cried through tears of joy. Obviously, the kids collectively blew her kisses, gave her hugs, waved farewell. Again, just one of those wonderful human interest stories about people showing kindness to each other. Well, let me go into some questions here. This one, we're going to keep the name confidential. He says, Dan, what does one do when they finally realize after 33 years in the wrong profession and now 55 years old that they should have chosen a totally different profession. Honestly, what do you do? I wish I could start a new career, but we're not immortal and having a limited lifespan. I now know at 55 what career I should have chosen, but I didn't know that when I was a young high schooler. What do you say to us folks? Well, here's what I say. You're 55 years old. Let's just kind of do the math on this. You're 55 years old. I, I just checked. The average lifespan of a U.S. male is 78.69 years. So let's just say, well, let's just make it 78 years. So 78, you're 55. That means you have 23 years left. Now let's just be realistic and say you're not up to par for the last three years. So that leaves you 20 years 
that you have to look at. 20 years of productivity. What if you just took two years to get specific training for your new career? I don't know what it is you want to do, but let's just say it took you two years even to get up to speed in that. So now you have 18 years to provide that service and to love what you do. Are you, are you, you going to be okay with that? I mean, would you rather spend those 18 years, those 20 years, you know, just kind of coasting into the grave? Or would you rather spend those doing something that you really love, even if it's a brand new career? Now, I work with a lot of people who have specific degrees and feel trapped by virtue of their academic background. If you have a JD behind your name or an MD or a DDS, you know, or even a PhD. I mean, yeah, a lot of people who are, you know, are attorneys, physicians, dentists, and so on, you know, feel like, oh, I made the wrong decision, but now it's too late. Well, that's not true. We have hundreds of wonderful stories about people deciding to change at 50, 55, 60, 65, and going into something for the next season of their life that they really, really do enjoy. I mean, I, I was... I was 52, and I've been very open about this. I was 52 years old when I finally ended a long season of working my way out of a horrible business disaster that I had created. So I was 52 when I got back to zero net worth. I was thrilled the morning I realized I was worth absolutely zero. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say I was worth nothing. That's a different, another story. But my financial assets were zero when I was 52 years old. And I was thrilled because I'd worked my way out of an incredible hole of debt prior to that. So I got back to that at 52. The things that I'm known for today, teaching, speaking, writing, coaching, I've all done since then, since I was 52. Now, here's the deal. I did look you up, this listener. I, I looked you up, and yes, your current career is changing dramatically. I mean, suddenly everybody thinks they can do what you do, but every part of history has known change. So if you're, golly, if you, if, what, what if you're in the business of uh, being a blacksmith? Let's kind of jump back a little bit. Uh, there's a, back a few years ago, this was, in like, let's take like 1864, New York City was obviously growing and thriving. Well, how did people get around? By horses. Horses pulled the train cars, the carts, people rode them, you know, all kinds. Of, there were horses. So by the 1870s, New Yorkers were taking over 100 million horse car trips per year. And by 1880, now think back, that's not all that long ago. By 1880, there were at least 150,000 horses in the city. So blacksmiths, obviously going to be really busy. Other people be busy because of the challenges created by having that many horses. Now they used them to provide transportation, to move freight. Everything was done because of horses. So again, there were 150,000 horses at the rate of 22 pounds of manure a day. This added up to millions of pounds every day, millions of pounds of horse manure. Now this is really, really gross. 
And this, I mean, the people who were on Wall Street, people who were business people, they just accepted this as part of what had to be, what had to be real. One observer at the time says the streets were literally carpeted with a warm brown matting, smelling to heaven. So-called crossing sweepers would offer their services to pedestrians. Somebody, how would you like to have somebody just in front of you with a broom, just sweeping a little path of the horse manure so you could walk on the street? It was that bad. And of course, when it rained, the streets turned to just unbelievable muck. When it was dry, wind whipped up the manure dust and choked the citizenry. 150,000 horses providing over 22 pounds of horse manure a day. So it was horrible. Now, what happened in the early 1900s? In the early 1900s, Henry Ford and others came along, and all of a sudden we had cars. You know what the reaction of the people were? We don't want those noisy things in our city. Get out of here. We're used to the way things are. Are you serious? Can you imagine today with us not having the foresight to recognize cars are a better alternative than horses in so many ways, but there was that resistance. There's always a resistance to change, but if you're in an industry that's changing, instead of trying to hang on to the way things were 10 years ago or five years ago or a year ago, look where the new opportunities are. Go to the new opportunities. That's always the way that our country has operated. When Eli Whitney came along and invented the cotton gin, it put a whole lot of people out of work. Or did it? Those people went to work in the factories, which was a new opportunity. And then Henry Ford came along and said, I'll pay you $5 a day to work here. That was more than double the money that most people were used to making. It transformed the kind of work that people were looking to do and wanting to do. There's always changes available. Where we are today, 2019, I mean, my goodness, when I look at my grandchildren, the kind of work that they're going to, we can't even predict the kind of jobs and work that is going to be available. When you look at the millions of people who work just sitting at their desk at home in front of a computer, we didn't even, we couldn't even imagine that to be possible 50 years ago. Nobody predicted that. It would be seen as a, a wild-haired dream, and yet today, that's reality. So I would advise you, if you have a chance to see a new career that you'd be interested in, in at 55, fantastic. I mean, raise your hands and shout hallelujah and walk in that direction. What a great privilege to be able to recognize it and move into something for the next 20 years. And hopefully, I mean, my goodness, I said the average is 78. I intend to live a whole lot longer than 78 and continue doing the work that I'm doing now. I mean, I make my plans in 25 year increments. I'm planning 25 years out what I want to be doing. Well, let me go on. I'll get off my high horse here. Let's go to Charles question who says, Dan, I love your work. My son is 16 and will be going off to college in a couple years. His career aspiration is to own businesses. Do you think it's too early to get him some coaching mentoring in this arena? Are you familiar with coaches, mentors who work with people his age? Well, yes, by all means, we can help you out with that for sure. Now, here's the thing. Your son's 16. He wants to, his career aspiration is to own businesses and he's going to go to college in a couple of years. Have him start today with a business of his own. 
I mean, it can be, it can be anything. I mean, I have grandkids that are, you know, 10 and 12 years old who have their own business. They make things, they go to the farmer's market. I mean, I have a couple grandsons who, because they live on property where there are a lot of aspen trees up in Colorado, they cut those into plaques that are about, you know, maybe like 12 inches round. So they got this really cool piece of wood with bark around it. And then they'll take a router and hand route in there somebody's name or your street address or whatever, they show up at the farmer's market and in one day, you know, make two, $300. One of my granddaughters does face painting and henna, if you're familiar with that. So face painting in a recent day between 1030 and 430, she made $422 face painting. Another little granddaughter does, um, well, one of my granddaughters does video production. She has regular clients. She's 12 years old. She has regular clients that send her their videos. She cleans them up, puts the, the little, you know, the, the words scrolling at the bottom, if they want that, put their company logo on there and she gets paid for that. I mean, I recently had her just do a, a project for me, but, uh, kids doing their own businesses. My, I mean, think about it. If your son at 16 has his own business, he's going to learn accounting, economics, I mean, laws of supply and demand, I mean, human resources, perhaps hiring, training, firing people, uh, customer service, sourcing products, profit and loss statements. Think about the wealth of things he can learn in that environment. It's not too early at all. Now, here's the irony. If your son starts this, has any measure of success at all, he's probably going to spend this next two years and get to the point where he wonders, um, why do I need to go to college? Now there may be a reason for that. He may have new goals at that point, but he can learn in doing and from other business people who are always generous with their time, resources, and talent. He's going to learn what he needs to know about running and owning businesses. Well, Hey, let's, jump into a little music here just to remind you these are real life questions these uh golly these come from people like you and me who are out here making things work having questions whether it's our own future the future of our kids or grandkids well what an amazing time to be alive to be able to put legs on the things that we do and um, come up with new solutions if you got a question just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Now you can leave a, um, you can leave an audio question if you want to. There's always a microphone. You can just hit that if you want to. But it, the easiest thing that most people do is just shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. So um, here's somebody says, uh, my friend and I are working through the 48 Days book and we both are suffering from somewhat profound depression issues. We're currently working on those issues and wonder what the next step would be and how we can best utilize the material in the book. Well, hey, thanks for your note. I mean, and for sharing your heart. I mean, I really understand that. I understand the challenge change can create. But again, what I've found in working with people over many years is this. If people are experiencing discouragement, frustration, anger, resentment, depression, it's because they're looking at the past. They're looking at what they are coming from. As soon as they get clear on a plan for the future, what they're moving to, those negative emotions start to diminish and disappear. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. 
get clear on what you're moving to. And I think what you're experiencing in depression is going to start to dissipate. Now, hopefully the tools, the processes, the principles laid out in 48 days will help you walk right through that. So you get clear on who you are, what you're all about, what your greatest gifts are, talents, and then be able to create a clear focus for what you're moving to. And I'm totally confident that as you do that, you're going to find your depression diminishes. I mean, there's the piece that I reference often, all beginnings are hopeful. And that's a quotation from the president of Oxford University that was spoken to entering freshmen in 1944, right in the midst of a world war. But again, in looking at where people are experiencing those negative emotions, just like some of our early questions here today, it's because they're looking at what's already happened. They get trapped in looking at what has already happened. Look at the past. That's where we get all those frustrating feelings, resentment, anger, discouragement, depression, those kind of things. Well, Viktor Frankl, you know, in in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, the little book that I read about every six months or so, he relates his observations of people in a German concentration camps, age, health, education, or ability could not predict who would survive the atrocities there. Rather, it was the attitude. Only those who believed that there was something better coming tomorrow. Those were the ones who were able to survive and ultimately walk away from those concentration camps. So if you're feeling discouraged, miserable in your job, you lost your business, give yourself a new beginning. Look to the future. Again, if you're uh, 35 or 55 or 75, if you see a new beginning, it gives you that boldness, excitement, confidence about moving to the future. Well, you know, you know, also there's a, boy, I read so many books on creativity. You know, we reference people like uh, Jeff Goins, Real Artists Don't Starve, and other books on creativity that uh, we've gleaned the principles of from them for years and years and years. But Henry Riemann says creativity when not used, turns to depression. You know, there are a lot of people who are trapped in kind of robotic kind of lives where they're just going through the motions and they really need to just release their creativity, their own creativity. When I look around my property here and I see, you know, the tree carvings that we have, you know, somebody had to be really creative to do that. That's not a normal job to take a tree, a standing tree and carve a beautiful eagle that is then released from the tree. I mean, that that's creativity. So, you know, tap, make sure that you've got an outlet for your own creativity. It doesn't have to be the only thing that you use to generate income. That's another story, but you better have a release for that creativity so that you can allow your life to be full and rich and open and growing. Well, let me, let me grab one more here. John says, I see opportunities all over the place and I want to do all of them. How can I train myself to focus on one and do it well? Well, John, what you're describing is a wonderful starting point. It really is. It's a wonderful place to start, to have a whole lot of ideas, but that doesn't serve you well. You'll find your, all your, your focus, your activities are spread too thin and nothing really bubbles up to be great. So what I encourage you to do, take all those opportunities you see, make a list of 20. I mean, even stretch to do that. If you've got 10, stretch to get 20. I think it's a healthy exercise to do that. Then 
look at those 20 ideas through the filter of what you know about yourself. Identify your strongest skills and abilities, your personality style, how you relate to other people, how you manage, sell, persuade. You know, what do you know about yourself, how you relate to other people? And then what I call your values, dreams, and passions. What are those? What are those things that when you're doing them, time just really flies by? I mean, things where you know you're in your zone of genius. So again, take those 20 ideas and then filter them through what you know about yourself. So you recognize, nah, you know, this may be a great idea for somebody else, but probably not for me. And in doing that, narrow down to three or four ideas, then do a little bit more research on those three or four, and then choose one and act. Now here's the deal. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't have had fun or been, been successful doing some of the others as well. That's okay. But you can't be successful. You know, the old adage, you know, a fox who chases two rabbits catches none. You, know, you can't be successful chasing a whole lot of rabbits at the same time. Choose one. That doesn't mean that you can at some point come back to one of the others or include it in some way or change the direction. That's fine. But to really be successful, you have to narrow down. Don't be a generalist, be a specialist. Find that one thing that you're going to commit to for the next year without second guessing yourself, without looking over your shoulder. That's the way you move forward to be successful. Well, hey, thanks for your questions. My goodness, we got all kinds of things that uh, people have submitted here, things that you've sent in. I love having the opportunity to scan through your questions, your input, your success stories, those as well. My goodness, if you got those, by all means, keep shooting those into me where you just sent them in to ask Dan at 48days.com success stories. We love hearing those. A lot of you in the Eagles community are seeing success just exploding all around you with the help of other people. Just this week, I interviewed um, Steve Anderson, who's the author of a brand new book. It's just been released this week called The Bezos Letters. Well, in talking with him, having him into my mastermind, we realized how many other people in the 48 Days community were part of him getting that book up and running. His wife was a integral part of our community and helped him write the book. And the person who ghost wrote the book along with him is in our group. The publisher that owns a company who's publishing the book is in our group. Proofreaders in our group. It's just amazing to see people linking arms coming together to help each other thrive. So not only survive, but, but thrive. So thank you for the opportunity to uh, see the connections being made or submitting your questions in to askdan at 48days.com. Remember our quotation for today came from Stephen Covey, live out of your imagination, not your history. And above all, thanks for being part of this group where we in fact are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable.